going on everybody it's your boy five star showtime and this is the five star show if you're hearing me you're hearing me on soundcloud stitcher itunes and the five star show.com welcome to episode 42 of the five star show it is wednesday november 13th 2019 we are t-minus three weeks away of the arrival of baby number two her name will be olivia marie mize but until we get there we have roughly an hour of entertainment and laughs for you as well as a little sports education and information first we go 25 minutes of nfl the titans beat a team they shouldn't have the chiefs blew it and it doesn't fucking matter anyway the 49ers are no longer undefeated. The Bengals are still winless and terrible. And we close that segment with a shout out to a man who once had 68 catches and 13 touchdowns. Then we transition into college football. Georgia? Number four? What? Why? College basketball. Again? We just said last week we weren't going to do this till March. Then we go over to the NBA. James Harden plays poorly on the road, but how poorly does he play in cities that have good strip clubs? We will tell you. And then in hockey, that's right, it's the NHL Minute. We tell you how good every team is, and we break down the power play of the Nashville Predators. Just fucking kidding. No, we don't. Apparently, the NHL has a cocaine problem. That's why they made the show this week. And then finally, and a lot of you will be glad to hear this, we go seven minutes. That's it on professional wrestling at the very end of the show. And that's going to do it. We have like one hour of show. I think you're really going to like it. In fact, I hope you do. Because if you don't, then I'm going to be mad at all 12 of you who listen. Just kidding. Of course, I love you every time that you listen. Thank you. Tell your friends if you have any. Tell your family if you haven't all killed them because you're serial killers in your basement to check out the five-star show. It's a really good show. You want to know? Well, let's get it started. And we begin the five-star show in the National Football League. The San Francisco 49ers lost on Monday night to the Seattle Seahawks. No thanks to what's possibly the worst missed field goal of all time. A kick that was hooked so far left, it landed in the tunnel where reporters were waiting to interview players post-game. That leaves the National Football League with zero undefeated teams. Your playoff standings as of now in the AFC, seeds 1-6 through six are the Patriots, the Ravens, the Texans, the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Steelers. Over in the NFC, the 49ers, despite their loss, are still number one, followed by the Packers, Saints, 
Cowboys, Seahawks, and Vikings. So in the wildcard matchup, you would have the Texans hosting the Steelers, the Chiefs hosting the Bills, and then the Saints hosting the Vikings, and the Cowboys would play host to the Seahawks. Lamar Jackson led Baltimore to its fifth straight victory. His perfect passer rating and incredible spin move skills have the Ravens sitting at 7-2, two up on a team that I thought was previously dead, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers have won four straight after beating the Rams on Sunday. I killed this team for starting off 0-3 and then trading a first-round pick to Miami for Mika Fitzpatrick. You have to remember, with no Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, or Le'Veon Bell at 0-3, from my perspective, it appeared as though Pittsburgh had lost its absolute freaking mind, giving up a first-round pick, which at the time could have been possibly a top-five pick the way things were going, for the rights to a safety. Well, as it turns out, the Pittsburgh Steelers know more about the Pittsburgh Steelers and what they're doing than the guy who's recording his podcast in a bedroom. Because since that trade, the Steelers are now 5-4. and four. Mika Fitzpatrick might be the defensive player of the year. And in this victory over the Rams, he had a fumble return for a touchdown and the game-sealing interception. Sometimes you have to admit, when you're wrong, I was wrong. Speaking of those Rams that the Steelers beat, remember this time last year they were beating the Kansas City Chiefs in a classic game 54-51 en route to a Super Bowl appearance? Well, this year, not so much. Maybe Sean McVay's offense has been figured out. Or maybe his offensive line is so terrible that they can't block for their quarterback. Or maybe their quarterback is so terrible he can't throw the ball. Or maybe the running back's so terrible because his knees are shot that the quarterback who's terrible, getting the ball from the offensive line is terrible, can't even hand it to the running back because he's terrible, although really, he's not even terrible. Because if you are a fantasy football owner of Todd Gurley like myself, you must be pulling out what remaining hair you actually have off the top of your head. Todd Gurley threw three quarters this Sunday, had 12 carries for 73 yards. That is six yards per carry, which is a really incredibly good average for an NFL running back. Then genius Wonderboy head coach Sean McVay, where if you had ever even met him, you were offered a coordinator or coaching job this offseason, decided to give Todd Gurley exactly zero fourth quarter carries. Zero. This is the fourth time in nine games, the fourth freaking time that they have given their all-pro running back zero carries in the fourth quarter. It boggles my mind. I know his knee is not ideal, but if it's good enough for 12 carries and 73 yards through three quarters, maybe you could give him at least two or three carries in the fourth and see what happens. All of those splashy guys that they got last year, including Ndamukong Sue, Marcus Peters, Akib Talib. Guess what they all have in common this year? They no longer play for the Los Angeles Rams. Marcus Peters was traded to Baltimore so that they could make room to give away another first-round pick and acquire Jalen Ramsey for the Jaguars. Well, Marcus Peters has two pick sixes in three games for the Ravens. 
Meanwhile, Jalen Ramsey might be doing a good job at cornerback, but he has not improved the Rams' overall team record. While they sit at 5-4, and four, that doesn't seem so horrible until you consider that the teams ahead of them in the wild card are the Minnesota Vikings at 7-3 and three and the Seattle Seahawks at 8-2, and two, meaning it is unlikely the Rams will make the postseason this year. And this will not be able to be a quick turnaround or a quick fix because the Rams went balls to the wall to win it all quickly. They had their opportunity last year and did not. And now next year, it appears that they are going to be financially fucked in the ass because they will have $25 million projected dollars in cap space. That's right, $25 million, that's all. To go over 53 players, that ain't going to work. The math don't add up. Todd Gurley, whose knees are so horrible that they won't even play him in the fourth quarter despite doing well. His 2020 salary is already guaranteed and has a $17 million salary cap hit. And oh, by the way, their quarterback, who was good for one year, and so he was paid $130 million over five years, is actually terrible, and that god-awful contract hasn't even kicked in yet. The Los Angeles Rams where the hopes and dreams of everyone's NFL future one year ago today, and it appears they will be sitting in financial purgatory for at least the next few years and be one of those cautionary tales of if you don't win it, you might have lost it all. Elsewhere in the National Football League, three teams that entered the week with only one victory now have two victories. Congratulations, to the New York Jets, the Miami Dolphins, and the Atlanta Falcons. The Jets won the Battle of New York. You know, the team that's called the New York Jets versus the team that's called the New York Giants, despite both teams actually playing in New Jersey. That score was 34-27 Jets and featured two of the best running backs in all of the National Football League. Le'Veon Bell for the Jets was able to muster only 34 yards on 18 carries. However, that's 34 times the amount of yardage that Giants superstar running back Saquon Barkley was able to muster because on 13 carries, Saquon Barkley, the number one overall pick in a lot of fantasy football leagues this year, was able to rush for exactly one yard. That's right, 13 attempts one yard that is an average of about three inches per carry. The Dolphins now have the longest current winning streak in the AFC East at two games. They were able to defeat the Indianapolis Colts thanks to Adam Vinatieri's missed kicks. We'll get to him in a minute. They looked like they would be, the Dolphins, possibly the worst team in NFL history two games ago and now have a two-game winning streak. The Falcons, who had one win, went on the road to New Orleans and played the Saints, who entered the week with only one loss and just absolutely kicked their ass. It's the first time in 18 years that a team with a six or more game losing streak defeated a team with a six or more game winning streak. So this means that the Redskins, who were off, so therefore they did not win or lose, still have only one victory on the season, and the Cincinnati Bengals remain the only winless team in the National Football League, 
This puts the Bengals in the driver's seat for the number one overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. The Cleveland Browns were actually able to win a game against a team that is completely fraudulent. That's the Buffalo Bills. I refuse to believe that the Bills are actually good despite having a 6-3 record. But let's talk about the Browns. They won this game, which is unbelievable considering at one point the Browns ran eight plays, eight of them, inside the three-yard line and came away with exactly zero points. That was previously thought to be impossible, but give Freddie Kitchens a chance and he will make the impossible possible in a negative way. Speaking of god-awful, the Redskins have decided that since they've only won one game and they had a week off, now is as good a time as ever to see what your first-round pick, Dwayne Haskins out of Ohio State, is all about. He will be the starting quarterback for the Redskins for the remainder of the year unless he gets his leg snapped off, which is possible. It happened to Theismann. It can happen to Haskins. The Colts, I mentioned they lost to the previously god-awful Dolphins 16-12. Adam Vinatieri is struggling, and the Colts are working out kickers because while Adam Vinatieri might be the best kicker of all time, he is not the best kicker of right now. He's only 14 of 19 on field goals, and he's 14 of 20 on extra points, including a crucial miss in that Dolphins game. The Los Angeles Chargers found a way to lose again. On Thursday night football, they were defeated by the Oakland soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders 26-24. The Chargers' six losses this year have all been by seven points or less. Bad teams lose close games. The Colts, who just lost a close game, but have been otherwise pretty solid, have played nine games this season. All of them have been decided by seven points or less. Typically, good teams win close games. I know the Colts just lost one, but their history shows they win them. Bad teams lose close games. The Chargers, that's what they do. Getting more into detail on just how good Lamar Jackson is for the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson was 15 of 17 for 223 yards and three touchdowns. I don't know how the math adds up, but what it does add up to is a perfect passer rating of 158.3. This is the second time this year that Lamar Jackson has finished a game with a perfect passer rating. He is only the second quarterback in NFL history to have a perfect passer rating twice in one season. The other was Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Roethlisberger back in 2007. The Tampa Bay Succaneers parted ways with Vernon Hargraves. The former first-round pick in 2016 was cut for a lack of effort. Man, that is just absolutely pitiful. I can't believe that's even possible. Elsewhere, Stefan Diggs who I love for the Minnesota Vikings because he wears awesome cleats. Last week, it was Popeye's cleats in honor of the chicken sandwich. This week, in Dallas, it was Austin 316 cleats with a middle finger and Stone Cold Austin, uh, Steve Austin on them. They're incredible. If you have not seen the pictures, go check them out. If there was a way I could buy them, I would buy them, but I don't have any money, and somebody probably has already bought them by now. And then finally... In the best of the rest of the NFL, before I get to your Tennessee Titans, the NFL has arranged a private workout for Colin Kaepernick. 
God, that's a name that I wish I wouldn't have had to say again. But here it goes. His private workout will be held this Saturday in Atlanta. Every NFL team is invited to attend, and even if they don't, they'll still be sent the video and the interview questions and answers so that if they don't go to Atlanta, they can at least have it on tape and have it on file for them to shove in their filing cabinet and pretend they never got. Because if you remember, Colin Kaepernick has not played since 2016. He filed grievance against the NFL for collusion in 2017, and that was taken care of in February of this year. And while it's not official because everything is sealed, it is likely, based on the outcome and the way that it happened, that Colin Kaepernick won his argument against the NFL and probably received a fat paycheck, but we will never know that because it's not allowed to be known. At least, you know, for, I don't know, it'll probably come out in the future, like 25 years. But anyway, he can work out, he can play, if somebody wants to sign him. We'll see what happens here. I would imagine at this point, after the workout, Kaepernick will get signed by a team as a backup quarterback. I mean, Jesus Christ, look at some of these guys who have started an NFL game this year. Okay, Jeff Driscoll. I mean, good Lord. Ryan Finley. My God. I'm pretty sure Colin Kaepernick could at least start over one of these guys. I believe there's been 51 starting quarterbacks this year. There's only 32 teams. I think Kaepernick can probably be one of the top 50 quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, let's talk about those Tennessee Titans. The Titans held on to beat the Kansas City Chiefs thanks to a perfectly timed field goal block by Joshua Kalu. He was listening to the snap count and timed the snap perfectly to get a jump on the edge and block this kick. It looked like he had to be off sides. He jumped it so good. But due to his perfect jump and the slow reaction by the Chiefs, that's what it made, vis that's what made it visually appear to be off sides when in fact it wasn't. What an incredible victory for the Titans. Or you could look at it as the Chiefs blew it because the Chiefs blew a nine-point nine fourth-quarter lead. They had a running back fumble, which led to a return for a touchdown. The Chiefs missed a point after touchdown. They had a god-awful rollout call on third and two after stopping the Titans on fourth and 17 with only uh, two minutes left. The Titans used their timeouts because they had all three of them. Andy Reid got too cute for his own good like he always does and called a rollout on third and two, which then led to a bad snap on a field goal. And then finally the blocked field goal at the end. The Chiefs also had five drives inside the Titans' 30, resulting in exactly zero touchdowns. However, the Chiefs were beneficiaries to the worst god-awful fumble call. I can't believe that nobody seemed to give a shit because this was just a botchamania right on the field. Titans quarterback Ryan Tannehill fell down, trapped the ball on his butt, on the ground, with his hand on it, signaling the play is dead, he's down, stop trying to attack him. Yet, one of the Chiefs players just kind of casually picked up the ball and started running with it. And the referees ruled it as a fumble. And the booth did not send a signal down to the referees to say, hey, you need to review that. And nobody really seemed to care. This was a clear and obvious missed call. 
in a game that was seven to nothing Chiefs at the time and could have really turned the you know game just completely out of hand had the Chiefs gone on to do something they you know with this possession they could have really blown this game open but the Titans didn't allow it to do it and the Chiefs shot themselves in the foot so many times that the Titans were able to escape with a 35-32 win in this game Taylor Lewan committed another absolutely idiotic, just unreasonable dipshit penalty that almost killed the Titans' hopes. Taylor Lewan leads the, uh, excuse me, leads the Titans with eight penalties this year, despite missing the first four games due to suspension. It is very hard to lead your team in penalties when you play four less games than your teammates. The win by the Titans drops Kansas City to 6-4, and four, only a half a game above the Raiders. Oh my God, the Raiders in the AFC West. And this victory improves the Titans' record to 5-5 five and five heading into the bye week. Now look, the Titans being 5-5 five and five, in the mix, not great, but not horrible, is exactly how I thought they would be because it's exactly how they always are. With the exception of a year when they landed the number one pick, which they traded to the Rams. With the exception of the Super Bowl year and a couple 13-3 and three years. You typically, when you look at a person, when you look at a math problem, okay, when you look at anything... You take the outliers and rule them out, and in the middle is the majority, and that is what you are. And what the Titans are for a majority as a team will, what they will do is they will string you along and make you think that there's hope, then they'll lose a couple where you give up, and then you keep watching, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, we have hope, and then your hope gets crushed into oblivion. This is what they always do. This is what I told you they would do 10 weeks ago, and this is what I knew they would do all along. So for that, my prediction is exactly correct. And when you look at it, there are five victories. They have beaten three bad teams, one meh team, and one good team. So they've beaten Cleveland, Atlanta, and Tampa Bay. They all suck. The Chargers, meh, that's the meh team. They're kind of good, but they kind of suck because they always lose close games. And then they beat a good team, the Kansas City Chiefs. However, in their five victories, they have lost to three good teams, Indian, uh, Indianapolis, Buffalo, which we still have to count as good even though I refuse to believe it. We have to assume that they are good until proven otherwise. And the Carolina Panthers, who despite losing Cam Newton for the year, it turns out they're still pretty solid. So they've lost to three good teams. They've lost to a meh team in the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then they lost to a bad team, the Denver Broncos. So their record is exactly how it should be, given that this is how they always are, which is right in the middle, not too good, not too bad, string you along and crush your soul. However, let me remind you that you can still avoid watching Tennessee Titans games for the rest of the year, as I vowed to you that I would, even though I have not held up to my end of the deal, I can go ahead and at least save you if I cannot save myself. Because after the bye week this week, the remaining schedule is the Jaguars at home, on the road to Indianapolis, on the road in Oakland, home against Houston, 
home against New Orleans, and at the Houston Texans. The Titans could very easily go 1-5 or 0-6 through that stretch and end up not good enough to make the playoffs, not bad enough to get the number one pick, just like they usually do. However, I will say it again, I am a fan of this team. I hope that they win every game. I do not care about draft picks, because even if there were 32 good quarterbacks in the NFL draft first round, the Titans would whiff on all 32 of them and draft the 33rd best one with their first pick in the second round, and he would go on to flame out just like all of their other picks do because we haven't drafted a good quarterback since we've been in Tennessee. The last time we did, we were in Houston, and that guy got murdered by a Dave & Buster's waitress. Okay? So we're not good at that. But I hope they win. You don't have to watch, but I'm going to continue because I am the type of person who pounds my head against the wall hoping for change despite knowing that these teams and people will never change. And finally, I must end the NFL segment on a sad note. Former number two overall pick in the 2003 NFL Draft, Charles Rogers, passed away at the age of 38 years old, fighting cancer, disease. Uh, Charles Rogers graduated from Michigan State with every wide receiver award and Michigan State record that you could think of. Uh, he was the number two overall pick for the Detroit Lions, so he got to stay home. Uh, they had previously drafted Joey Harrington, number three overall out of Oregon at quarterback the year before, so we thought that we had the quarterback and wide receiver duo that Detroit Lions fans uh, had been hoping for. Charles Rogers broke his collarbone, then came back and broke his collarbone again. Uh, he got so distraught, basically, to the point where uh, the team thought it was best that he just stays home and doesn't even like go to the games while he's rehabbing his injury. He came back again, but by that point, um, he had developed a little bit of a habit to the painkillers. He already had marijuana problems in college. Those resurfaced in the NFL. Uh, and when I say marijuana problems, I mean, you can't smoke pot according to league rules. It doesn't mean that, like, you know, being a pothead is going to kill you or anything. But if you want to play football, you got to pass your drug tests. And he was unable to do so. Uh, he kind of fell off the face of the earth after being cut by the Lions. He was most recently working as a mechanic in Fort Myers, Florida. And he was found dead at the age of 38. Uh, he died in the hospital, actually, um, because of some diseases that he was going through. Why does this matter? It be it's because it's the only Madden commercial that I ever remember. Me and my best friend Ricky will sing this song that we heard pretty much any time that we get together. It's the commercial for Madden 2004. Ray Lewis is throwing footballs toward then-rookie entering the league, Charles Rogers, and he's asking Charles Rogers to describe himself and introduce himself, but Ray Lewis keeps throwing him footballs and throwing them at him, saying, sing it! Sing it! And we're just going to go ahead and play the commercial here because it's one of my favorite commercials of all time, and the guy is now no longer with us, but Charles Rogers 
May you and your 68 catches and 13 touchdowns rest in peace. I'm Charles Rogers. I had 68 catches and 13 touchdowns. Sing it! I'm Charles Rogers. Sing it! I'm Charles Rogers. I had 68 catches and 13 touchdowns. I'm Charles Rogers. I had 68 catches and... Welcome to the big time, Ruck. And that was the NFL segment on the Five Star Show. You're listening to the Five Star Show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and the Five Star Show.com. We'll transition from the pros to college football on the Five Star Show and the college football playoff rankings. The CFP Top 25 was announced tonight as I record this on Tuesday on ESPN. If the season ended today, the number one team would be LSU, followed by number two, Ohio State, number three, Clemson, number four, Georgia. Alabama slips to number five after its loss to LSU. The remaining of the top ten goes like this, Oregon at six, Utah at seven, Minnesota at eight, Penn State at nine, and Oklahoma at ten. This is the most absurd thing I've ever seen. Okay. LSU, number one, they beat Alabama. They deserve it. That's no problem with me. Ohio State, undefeated at two. Clemson, despite playing nobody, undefeated. ACC champion already in the regular season at number three. But Georgia, why in the hell is Georgia number four? Yes, they have a victory over Notre Dame, who's no longer in the top ten. Yes, they have a victory over Florida, who has two losses now. But their loss is to South Carolina. South Carolina has four wins on the season. They've beat exactly four teams. Those teams are Charleston Southern, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and then of course Georgia. So Georgia, with one loss, would be in the playoff right now despite losing to South Carolina, who is God-fucking-awful. South Carolina just lost to Appalachian State at home. They had a chance to win this game, but their quarterback overthrew it. He threw it into the fucking stands on a wide-open receiver in the right corner of the end zone. So South Carolina just lost to Appalachian State. Appalachian State... They beat South Carolina. The week before that, they lost to Georgia Southern at home. Okay, now I know we're starting to get into six degrees of Kevin Bacon here, but when you look at the four through ten, okay, all of those teams with the exception of number eight, Minnesota, have one loss. Okay, Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Utah, Minnesota, Penn State, Oklahoma, all are one-loss teams or, in Minnesota's case, undefeated. When you look at who they've lost to, Alabama at number five lost to the number one team in the nation, LSU. Oregon's one loss is to number 12, Auburn. Utah's one loss is to USC, who currently sits at six and four. Penn State, their one loss is to undefeated number eight, Minnesota. 
and Oklahoma's one loss is to number 24, Kansas State. Meanwhile, Georgia, who's ranked above all of those teams and would currently be in the playoff if it ended today, their loss is to South Carolina, who just lost to Appalachian State. Three of the four victories that South Carolina has are complete dog shit, and yet Georgia is number four. This is the most overrated, absurd, obnoxious, god-awful, terrible ranking that I've ever seen. There is no way in hell that Georgia should be number four, as there is no way in hell that Oklahoma should be number ten. They should be a lot higher. It's just, it, it doesn't, it makes no sense to me. It's awful because now you have a potential scenario where Georgia and LSU could play each other in the SEC championship and Georgia win. So Alabama is going to get completely hosed, which doesn't bother me personally, but when you're looking at it, taking the you know emotion out of it is absurd. You would have Georgia as the SEC champion and LSU as the one-loss SEC runner-up in that hypothetical scenario. Now, usually, granted, Everything works out. But the fact that Georgia is ranked at number four above all these other teams when their one loss is so much goddamn worse than all the other teams' one loss that could be ranked number four, it's absurd. Hopefully it does work itself out. Elsewhere in college football, the LSU-Alabama game was the highest-rated college football game in the regular season since the 2011 LSU-Alabama game. Coincidentally, that was the last time that LSU beat Alabama before this past Saturday. Donald Trump and Melania attended the game, and they were actually received with cheers. Which, let's face it, if you're a Republican, one state that you are very likely to get cheered in is Alabama. Elsewhere in the SEC, Arkansas fired head football coach Chad Morris because he's terrible, and Arkansas's terrible as well. And Ohio State had to suspend Chase Young who could be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft for one game because he accepted a loan from a family friend and he paid it back in full, which is absolutely absurd. So, as we transition to college basketball, the potential number one overall pick in basketball was also dealing with the NCAA. In fact, he was ruled ineligible by the NCAA, that being Mr. James Wiseman. We talked about him last week on the Five Star Show, and I vowed that this would be uh, last week's show. would be the last time we talked about college basketball until March. One week later, here we are. But Memphis's James Wiseman was ruled ineligible by the NCAA because he was given $11,500 in moving expenses in 2017. He was given the $11,500 by his now head coach, Penny Hardaway. Let's take you through the timeline if you don't understand it, because it's also absurd. So in 2008, Penny Hardaway, who went to the University of Memphis back when it was Memphis State University, donated $1 million to the University of Memphis, which was used to make the Memphis Athletics Hall of Fame, also known as the Penny Hardaway Hall of Fame. Therefore, because Penny Hardaway gave the University of Memphis a million dollars, he is now considered a booster by the NCAA. Keep in mind, this took place in 2008. James Wiseman was seven years old. In 2017, James Wiseman, who was in the Nashville area living, he went to Ensworth High School, 
his sophomore year, he decides to play for Team Penny on the AAU circuit. Later that year, Wiseman and his family moved from Nashville to Memphis, and he transferred from Innsworth High School to East High School in Memphis. East High School was coached at the time by Penny Hardaway. In 2018, in the span of six days in March, the following three events occurred. Tubby Smith on March 14th was fired as head coach of University of Memphis. Three days later, East High School won the state championship with James Wiseman leading the way. And three days after that, on March 20th, Penny Hardaway was hired as head coach of the University of Memphis. James Wiseman ended up declaring that he wanted to go to University of Memphis. And now we flash forward to a couple days ago. Wiseman was ruled ineligible because Penny Hardaway, a booster, technically, because he donated that million dollars back in 2008, provided $11,500 in moving expenses so that Wiseman and his family could move from Nashville to Memphis. You have to remember that this million dollars was donated when Wiseman was seven years old. You also have to remember that it does not cost $11,500 to move from goddamn Nashville to Memphis unless you're moving literally the entire house. Like you pick up the mansion and you put it on one of those super wide loads and you roll that motherfucker down I-40 all the way to Memphis. You can move from Nashville to Memphis and have all of your shit hauled in the biggest U-Haul truck you can find for a roughly $1,500. But that's beside the point. It's absurd that this man, this young man, freshman in college, has been ruled ineligible because his basketball coach donated money to the school that he now attends and the school that the coach attended back when the guy who's being ruled ineligible was seven years old. Thankfully, Memphis was able to throw the fucking double bird at the NCAA and say, net, 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 that does not work for me. That ain't gonna work. Because the NCAA used to be this big, bad, powerful authority until teams realized and schools realized, why? Who gives a fuck what the NCAA says? I don't give a shit. And a Memphis judge, a Shelby County judge, Memphis is where is in Shelby County, a Shelby County judge has issued a temporary restraining order on the NCAA's ruling allowing Wiseman to play. A hearing with the NCAA is scheduled for November 18th. So James Wiseman and the Memphis Tigers are currently playing the Oregon Ducks as I speak. James Wiseman, who all of this controversy is about, and who could be the number one pick in the NBA draft next year, has all of three points, as the Memphis Tigers are currently losing by 10 points to the Oregon Ducks. Lot to do about a motherfucker going to score three points in a college basketball game. Elsewhere in college basketball, because I can't believe there's an elsewhere, but there is, even though it's November. The number one Big Blue Nation Kentucky Wildcats of Lexington hosted the Evansville Purple Aces tonight and lost 67-64. The Evansville Purple Aces were picked to finish 8th in the Missouri Valley Conference preseason poll following an 11-21 season last year, including 5-13 in conference. Coach Walter McCarty, in his first season, played on the 1996 national champion Kentucky Wildcats. 
This is the first time in the history of the AP College Basketball Poll that number one has lost at home to an unranked non-conference opponent and the first time that two AP number ones have lost in the month of November because Kentucky beat previously ranked number one Michigan State last Tuesday. It could not hype. Uh, it could not happen to a nicer school. Fuck them. I'm glad they lost. And that's enough college basketball and college football. Let's transition to the NBA. As we start our NBA Minute on the Five Star Show, yes, I will tell you how terrible the Grizzlies and the Knicks are momentarily. But first, I must tell you about the NBA story that has caught my attention the most. And it comes to us as do many great things, from Reddit. Reddit user Ryan Sullivan compiled research showing the correlation between Houston Rockets guard James Harden's performance on the road and how it relates to the quality of strip clubs in the road team city. Keep in mind James Harden is known for his love of the strip club. He even has his jersey retired in a strip club. So this started because James Harden and the Rockets played like absolute dog shit against the Miami Heat in Miami. Miami is stereotypically known for its quality of strip clubs. The method used was a combination of stats, including points, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free throw percentage, assists, and turnovers. Then a Google search of, insert city here, strip club, so Memphis strip club, Los Angeles strip club, and then he took the first 10 results of the strip clubs that popped up and averaged the rating based on the Google reviews. And here is what this Reddit user was able to find on James Harden and his performance and does it relate to the quality of strip club in the city? Certainly it does. Here's some interesting data. James Harden performs best on the road against Toronto. Toronto had the worst rated strip clubs of cities that have NBA franchises in them. Strikes me as odd. I figured Drake, being from Toronto, would have had better quality strip clubs in Toronto. Maybe they just would have built a couple just for him, but apparently not. Harden performs the worst on the road in Miami, known for having the best strip clubs out of any city that has an NBA franchise. One other bit of data that came out of this Reddit user's study is that of all the cities who have NBA franchises, Salt Lake City ranks third overall in quality of strip clubs. I didn't even know there were strip clubs in Salt Lake City. The top three go Miami, Makes sense. Chicago, I get it. And Salt Lake City, which ranks above even Los Angeles. So James Harden plays poor on the road in cities that have high-quality strip clubs. Therefore, the night before, he's at the strip club getting turn up. Then he feels like shit and plays hungover or tired and poorly in those games. That is some great data on one of the best basketball players currently playing in the NBA, and it comes to us via Reddit. 
And now for my Memphis Grizzlies and my New York Knicks. The New York Knicks president and general manager had a post-game press conference after the Knicks' 21-point loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's right. The team president and the general manager held a press conference after a regular season basketball game in November, expressing their disappointment in the New York Knicks' performance while also expressing optimism for the future. Despite the Knicks having only one goddamn good player on their team, it's the one they just drafted, R.J. Barrett, a bunch of other guys that are absolutely terrible. There was no expectation for this team. Everyone knew, everyone with half a brain, every raccoon, every goddamn dinosaur knew that the New York Knicks would win somewhere between 20 and 30 games this year and be absolutely dreadful. Yet, the president and the general manager feel like it's necessary to say that we're not happy with the fact that we're doing terrible, even though we did get all the players and pay all the contracts to assemble this absolutely terrible team. And now we are not happy with our terrible team, even though we are the people who put the ingredients in the recipe <laughs> for this terrible team. They're mad because their team sucks. They picked the players for this sucky team. And who is going to take the fall for it? David Fisdale, the head coach of the New York Knicks. He will probably get fired by Thanksgiving, and it's not his fucking fault. It is an absolute shame that the Knicks are treating him this way because the Knicks did not fire David Fisdale by having this public post-conference or post-game press conference after a 21-point loss but they essentially fired David Fisdale by having this post-game press conference after a 21-point loss. It would be different if the Knicks had expectation. If we thought the Knicks were going to win 70 fucking games this year, and they started out 2-9, and nine, I understand why you might have a press conference. But nobody thought the Knicks were going to be any good. So we don't need a press conference from their president and general manager saying we're disappointed when, number one, Everybody expected it. And number two, y'all are the motherfuckers who put the team together. So it's your fault. The Knicks are god-awful, though. And David Fisdale will probably t take the fall for it. He'll probably get fired. David Fisdale, if that name sounds familiar, used to be the coach of your Memphis Grizzlies. That's right. And my Memphis Grizzlies suck, too. Although they did defeat the San, San Antonio Spurs Monday night to improve their record to a whopping 3-7. and seven. So again, as I say every show, I have two basketball teams that I cheer for. The New York Knicks have won two games all year. The Grizzlies have won three. Oh boy, what an NBA season it is. And now, it's time for the return of your NHL Minute. And the reason we have an NHL Minute this week on the Five Star Show is because apparently, according to The Athletic, the NHL has a cocaine and molly problem. According to one NHL player, quoted by The Athletic, players are just popping molly on the weekends or whatever. And it's the secret that everybody knows. Of course, this offseason, cocaine became a topic when Washington Capitals player Evgeny Kuznetsov 
You'll appreciate that chance, that pronunciation. I think I got it right. Had a video surface of him in a hotel room alongside lines of white powder. Evgeny Kuznetsov denied using drugs. Later, he tested positive for cocaine while playing for Russia at the World Championships and was given a whopping three-game suspension for inappropriate behavior by the NHL. In other words, the video got out. That made the NHL look bad. Therefore, he got three games. Because the NHL tests all players for drugs. However, players are not suspended for a positive first test. The lax drug testing rules in the National Hockey League have caused concern for league front offices. Apparently, one executive said rumors of top players developing a reputation for usage of cocaine are rampant. Translation, some of our best players are cokeheads and we know it. To be fair to NHL players, if I had to wear ice skates 82 times a year, travel from Florida to Canada, Los Angeles to New York City, and try to hit a little black hockey puck while skating on ice skates and wearing shoulder pads while other people were trying to hit the same puck and hit me, I would probably have to enjoy a little cocaine and molly myself. I've done cocaine while doing absolutely nothing on a Tuesday. I could only imagine what ice skating, wearing shoulder pads, trying to hit a hockey putt, it into a little hockey net with a big motherfucker in front of it trying to stop it and other motherfuckers trying to hit me. I can only imagine what that might be like. It probably sucks. Also, I'm sure somebody's winning the standings. Let's go ahead and see who's doing well in hockey. It's the last time we'll check it for a while. And according to Google, because I have not watched a single hockey game all year, the Capitals, the Bruins, the Blues, and the Oilers are all pretty good at hockey so far this year. And that was your NHL Minute. Two minutes turned into ten minutes between the NBA and the NHL. But when your topics are strip clubs and cocaine, that's likely to happen. You're listening to the Five Star Show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and the Five Star Show.com. We will complete this edition of the Five Star Show with a little bit of R-A-S-S-L-I-N, wrestling. That's right. First, we'll start with the WWE, okay? It's fucking horrible. They taped two shows in England on Friday, one SmackDown, one Raw. They both suck. Raw was absolute garbage. This storyline with Lana being pregnant now by her now ex-husband, Rusev, because she's with Bobby Lashley. It's god-awful. Even Corey Graves on his WWE podcast said he hates it and he he wishes it would go away. It's that bad that one of your main announcers, your main people, who's usually a WWE kiss-ass, goes on the WWE Network podcast and says he wishes it would fucking end because it's horrible. What should not be horrible is Survivor Series. Thanks to the addition of NXT, 
you will now get great matches like Champion vs. Champion vs. Champion AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Roderick Strong in a triple threat match. That should be fucking awesome. Also, you have Becky Lynch vs. Shayna Baszler vs. Bayley. Those could be some cool things. And keep in mind, there could always be a title switch here and there before we get to Survivor Series. But still, Survivor Series and its team, uh, Raw vs. Team NXT vs. Team SmackDown format is pretty fucking cool. It should be awesome, and it takes place November 24th. Unfortunately, the road to Survivor Series has been a bumpy one at best. And then after Survivor Series on the WWE Network, Stone Cold Steve Austin has a new show called Broken Skull Sessions. It debuts immediately following Survivor Series November 24th on the WWE Network, and Austin's first guest is The Undertaker. And they go all the way back from Undertaker being mean Mark Calloway in WCW, all the way through the streak getting ended by Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 30, and so on and so forth. One positive WWE note, WrestleMania in the New York, New Jersey area this past April generated $165 million of economic impact for that area. So good for them. And that's it for WWE. We do got to talk a little AEW, though. AEW had its pay-per-view full gear on Saturday night. A couple of highlights include the Cody Rhodes-Chris Jericho AEW World Championship match. Cody Rhodes lost because his best friend MJF, who is a future star of wrestling at only 23 years old, threw in the towel on behalf of his best friend when he was trapped in what used to be known as the Walls of Jericho, now known as the Lion Tamer. Cody refused to tap out. MJF threw in the towel for his friend. He went into the ring and apologized and said, Listen, buddy, I know... Cody, who was disappointed at first, then begins to understand and see where MJF is coming from. So he kind of shakes his head and then sticks out his hand for a handshake and says, okay, I get why you did it. And then MJF kicks him in the fucking balls and says, it's my turn now. And as MJF is walking up the ramp, a fan throws a beer at MJF, which was a perfect visual caught on camera. There's some debate about whether the fan was actually a real fan or not, or if he was an AEW plant, because of the timing of the beer throw, how perfect it was, the camera angle, it was almost too goddamn good to be true, but if it was a real fan who was supposedly escorted out of the arena, like for real, allegedly, if it was a real fan, it was an excellent happy accident although we shouldn't encourage fans to throw beer on your sports entertainers. Let's talk about some of the bullshit. Uh, the garbage, hardcore match between John Moxley, formerly known as Dean Ambrose, and Kenny Omega, who is regarded by some as the best wrestler in the world, despite all I ever see him doing is a couple flips and some crazy-looking gestures with his hands, like spirit fingers. These two guys are great to very good, very good to great, however you want to say it, professional wrestlers, yet they go out there and have this fucking barbed wire everything match like they're two dudes in a fucking club just fucking wrestling over a case of beer in front of 26 people. I don't understand this. This doesn't help grow your company. If you do this one time and that's it, fine, but I don't want to see another one of these things again. This thing was way too long. There was way too much stunts. Let's take this barbed wire table and set it up and 
our opponent is woozy for a fucking hour to make sure that the goddamn thing works right. And then we take our barbed wire broom and our barbed wire bat. And we take our trash can lid, which is made out of aluminum but sounds very loud. And we beat a motherfucker with that. I just... These are the type of matches that two fat guys should be having in a club. Not two of your high-level sports entertainers. And certainly not as the main event of your pay-per-view. Now before this... On Wednesday Night Dynamite on TNT, Cody Rhodes cut the best professional wrestling promo of the last probably 10 years. Okay? You could argue that the CM Punk pipe bomb is there as well, but when you come uh, when it comes to a babyface fucking promo, nobody has done it better recently than Mr. Cody Rhodes. He made you laugh, he made you cry, he made you smile, he made you upset. He invoked emotion like no babyface has done recently. It is how you cut a promo in professional wrestling. I encourage you to check it out. And then this Wednesday, tonight, as you hear this recording, AEW takes a trip to the Municipal Auditorium in Nashville for Wednesday Night Dynamite. You can see it live on TNT at 7 o'clock p.m. Central. I will not be going to the AEW show itself, but I will be going to the AEW after party at Zany's, which is a podcast show featuring Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, and Conrad Thompson. It's going to be after AEW. There's going to be drinks flowing, blunts blowing, and laughs laughing, and I can't wait. And that is the shortest professional wrestling segment I have done in at least five episodes. In the course of two episodes, we've gone from one hour of one company to six minutes and 51 seconds with both companies combined. And that's how we conclude this week's edition of the Five Star Show. I hope every single one of you enjoyed it, and I hope to see you back here next week. Until then, you've been listening to the Five Star Show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes and the five star show.com.